All righty. Yeah, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, and if you don't have a Bible, uh, we have Bibles in the seat rack in front of you, 971 on those Bibles. We're using the NIV for those of you using a phone or other electronic device. If you're brand new with us, we always do that at the beginning of the sermon. <laughs> uh, besides that, uh, hopefully you got a new here brochure, a uh, green brochure, and it has uh, on the inside, it has a sermon application guide. And so you can take notes. Today, I think I have a few notes. Normally, I try to have anything that's extended uh, in the outline. I don't have it, so sorry. You, uh, if you can't write it down in time, I'll, I'll hopefully... Uh, you can talk to me afterwards, and I'll, I'll get you the information. So we're in a series working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And uh, we're a week number 8 of that series, a 12-week series. And so we're going to finish up chapter 6 today. Um, so, so this guy, he, uh, he runs into a good friend of his, a stockbroker, and the stockbroker uh, has always struggled with anxiety, he you know, doesn't sleep well, he has ulcers, high blood pressure, and the, the friend says, so how's your health? He says, never been better. He says, the ulcers are gone, the high blood pressure is gone, I'm sleeping like a baby, an older baby, because babies don't sleep well. And... Uh, and so he is, uh, he's doing great. He said, well, what happened? What changed? He says, I hired a professional worrier. <laughs> and so how does that work? He says, well, if anything comes down, you know, that, that I need to worry about, I just give it to him. And he worries about it. So the friend goes, that sounds great. I, I'd like to get one of those. How much does it cost? He says, uh, $200,000 a year. So how can you afford, you can afford $200,000 a year? He says, uh, I don't know. Let him worry about it. <laughs> so today we're looking at what Jesus says about worry and anxiety, and we're actually going to look at three different ways, three different strategies. I love the word strategies for this because really Jesus comes at it from so many different angles that we're going to see three different strategies, and there's more there than uh, that we can use in times of worry. Uh, and so as we always do during this, our second movement of worship, which is listening, listening to the word, we ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the scripture for us and to strengthen us to be able to keep it. And this prayer is based on 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, so please, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, your word is truth and power, and as we look to the scriptures, remind us that we're not just looking to letters on a page, we're not looking at merely a human message but we're looking to your words that have been given to us. So we ask that you soften our hearts to receive and understand your word. And we ask that it would transform us and that you would equip us to follow you and to bear fruit for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is going to be an extended passage. We're going to go over it twice, so read right through it, and then we'll cover most of it. Again, as we break it down a little bit, but we're going to begin in verse 19 of chapter 6, where Jesus, teaching his disciples in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either one will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall I wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So, undoubtedly, every single person in here struggles with anxiety from one time, uh, at one time or another. And we live in what is certainly, if not called already that, is certainly more and more called the age of anxiety. There's certain names a social scientist give various decades. I remember it was either the, I think it was the 70s. It was called the me decade. Some of you lived through that with me. And I think if it hasn't been done already, that the last decade is going to be called the, um, uh, the age of anxiety or the decade of anxiety, the anxiety de- decade. I've, I've quoted statistics that are frightening. As a grandparent with small kids growing up, I, I'm concerned uh, about them. And I'm concerned about our congregation, about our kids and our students because anxiety is through the roof. It's, it's, there's something happening in our society that is making people experience crippling anxiety in their lives. The YouVersion app, many of you use it, it's the most popular Bible app for smartphones. The YouVersion app, the last three years, 2019, 2018, 2017, three different verses, they, they track what are the most highlighted, most mar- bookmarked verses and most shared verses, and for the last three years, all three years have been different verses about fear and anxiety. So it's showing up everywhere. And chances are you experience bouts with anxiety, and it might be about your work, it might be about the direction of your career, it might be about your grades, about what school you're going to get into. You may feel uh, an inordinate amount of anxiety about your recitals or about your friendships. Uh, or about your kids, and you may be overwhelmed a lot of times, and some of you are overwhelmed right now with anxiety. Now, what I'm going to be talking about today does not really directly speak directly. It, it, it's helpful, but it doesn't re- really speak directly to bouts with anxiety that are medical in their nature. It, it would be like, 
I, I wouldn't expect, I, w- I wouldn't preach to you words about the strength that the Lord gives if you had a broken arm. Uh, in the same way, you know, in, in terms of our, 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 our brains sometimes, things start misfiring and there can be a, a medical reason for anxiety. So that's something that you, you really need to, to seek help for. But for everyday, common, sometimes debilitating anxieties that happen in our lives, worries and anxieties, these strategies that we're going to be looking at are, are, are very helpful. I think, um, I think you're going to find them very helpful in your life as you internalize them and actually practice them. So these are not the strategies, but uh, we're going to do a little bit of ex- a uh, little bit of teaching here on different angles that Jesus deals with things. Because it's something that I've been wanting to bring in, and I think it comes in really well in this passage. And so uh, suspend what I've just been talking about for a moment, because I want to I talk about this. Um, and it's the different angles that Jesus approaches things when he's telling us how to live our lives, when he's instructing us. He comes from a whole bunch of different angles, and there's three angles in particular that can be very helpful. And once you understand what these three different angles are, you're going to read the teaching of Jesus in a new way, in a little bit of a different, in a big way, in a different way. So when one theologian calls, um, he calls them the ethics from above, the ethics from beyond, and the ethics from below. Now, before your eyes roll into the back of your head with those, with those words that are probably meaningless to you, by ethic or ethics, we're talking about what's right and wrong. What, what is at the base of what Jesus says is right and what is wrong? Uh, about morality. What is at the base of it? That's what ethics is about. And I'll explain what I mean by above, beyond, and below here in just a moment. So it's really interesting how you see these three ethics being worked out in this passage. And like I said, it'll help you understand. It's a a way of teaching that is very uh, Jesus in his setting, in his Jewish setting. It's a Hebrew way of thinking. And it's not necessarily the way that that we think, um, but it's not that difficult to put ourselves into that, into that mindset. So pay attention to these definitions because I'm actually going to quiz you. I'm going to be asking for answers from you, all right, as to where you see these coming through in this passage. So the first one is the ethic from above. Sometimes Jesus simply says in Scripture, he just says, this is my command to you. This is, this, is, this is my law, this is my commandment, this is my instruction to you. Or he might say, this is the Lord's command. And throughout the Bible, that, that happens. This is the Lord's command. And when he does that, or when God gives commands, the expectation is actually obedience, even though it's going to be hard and we're going to fail many times and we need forgiveness. But that is the expectation, that we will seek to obey what he says. Uh, that is a command from the top, right? From God, the God of the universe, it's a command from above. That's what I mean by command. That's what this scholar, this theologian says, is an ethics from above. The God and king of the universe is instructing us, and sometimes he just says, don't do this and do this. Now, other times he'll explain why, but he doesn't always give an explanation as to what it is. But it's really important to understand that whenever God gives a command from above, that it is never simply the big boss in the sky that's telling us what to do, just kind of pushing us around. It's never that. It's always a loving and good God who wants what's best for us. Always. In this passage, we just read it. It is explicit. 
Your heavenly Father cares about you more than all these other things. So trust him with these things, okay? So it's always, that's always in the background. We have a loving heavenly Father, a good God who wants what is best for us. So that's the ethic from above. Then there's the ethic from beyond. This one is really interesting. It's going to stretch you a little bit, but I'm going to give you some examples about how you oftentimes make your decisions based on what is beyond. So ethics from beyond is where Jesus is saying God's kingdom is coming in fullness when when he comes back. His kingdom is going to come in fullness. That means his rule. He will rule on earth as he does in heaven. And when that day comes, God, because that day is coming, live now in light of that reality. There is more to life than what we can taste, feel. There's, there's, just, there's so much more to reality that we need to be aware of. And so we need to live with that in mind. And part of the reason we live with that in mind is because Jesus said, the kingdom, my rule, has broken in with me coming. It's not come in fullness, it will come in fullness, but it has actually broken in with my coming. So now to give you an example of what this, what this looks like, you ever notice that your most efficient days, where you get the most done and you have the right priorities and everything is before you go on a big trip, like before you go on a vacation. So two weeks ago, I, I, I was gone until yesterday uh, in Israel. And for the two days before I left, uh, I, was, I was focused. I had my priorities straight. I know I'm going to get on a plane. I'm not going to be here for two weeks. There's certain things that have to get done. And I had to identify what are those things that have to get done. And I was efficient, and I wasted less time than I would normally waste. Went down less rabbit trails and various things like that. I had to get that done. That is what living with what is out ahead, what is beyond in mind. You know this is coming, and you might have a big test, big, big test. And so a lot of the other things that you normally would get distracted by, you don't do those things because you're studying for the test. You might be facing a big deadline in a project at work. Uh, Your thinking, the way that you think, your actions get determined by what is beyond. It works its way into the present moment. Jesus applies the same logic or strategy to our lives, and he's saying the kingdom of God is broken in with me. It's coming in fullness, so don't get caught up in the things of, that, that are not eternal, that are not of my kingdom. They might be necessary things, but don't get caught up in those things. Instead, live for what is beyond. Experience the beyond now. Let me rule in your life now. And then there's a third ethic that you see in this passage and throughout the teaching of Jesus, and it's an ethic from below. And this below means it's a human ethic. It has to do with human wisdom, with just common sense. This is the kind of ethic that you find in the book of Proverbs. You read the book of Proverbs, and it makes you know, all these, these statements. If you do this, this is going to happen. It might be good, it might be bad. You know, and it says there's going to be a connection between living a good life and having good results and living a bad life and having bad results, that kind of a thing. It's an ethic from below. It's just good human wisdom. You see it in psychology. You see it in motivational speakers, in uh, like producti- productivity gurus, those kind of people. They, they can just give you a good ethic from below if they're good at what they do, at their craft, if they have wisdom. And we see it here in the text. 
And we'll, we'll note it in a few moments. It's kind of surprising, actually, in many ways. So the ethic from below um, is going to be in this passage. We're going to see it. Okay, so let me just give you a quick, quick look back. Matthew chapter 5. We spent several weeks in Matthew chapter 5. And you have that, those, those impossible commands. And one of the impossible commands there is when Jesus says, do not be angry, ethic from above. And then he follows that um, by saying, if you are angry with someone, it's before God's eyes, it's as if you murdered them. Why? There's no other place in the Bible that says that. Why is Jesus says, you have heard it said, do not, be, do not murder. But I say don't even be angry because you are in danger of hellfire for just being angry at someone in the same way as if you were, had murdered someone. Why? Why does he say that? It's because of the ethic from beyond. In the kingdom of God, when God is ruling, there is not going to be anger and there's not going to be murder. And he's saying, live that way now. But then he moves to an ethic from below really quickly. He says, that's why he gives one, exa- one example. It's his second example. He says, that's why if someone has something against you, don't, don't, uh, and they're suing you, try to take care of it before you go to court and lose. You might lose. So try to go, you might wind up in jail. So try to mediate, you know, find some mediation. Try to, try to take care of this problem, especially if you've done something wrong to that person. Okay, that's an ethic from below. And you've got this mixture that's all, all in there constantly. So we're going to see it in this passage. Okay, back to what we're talking about. Anxiety and worry, three strategies, all right? And we're going to see how it works out with these different ethics, very Hebrew way of thinking, all right? So the first thing is learn to place the greatest value on that which is most valuable. Learn to place the greatest value on that which is most valuable. You want to deal with anxiety, value the right things. Value the right things. Now, I don't have the word learn in your outlines, but I put it into here because this is something that we learn as we journey with Jesus. We decide to follow Jesus. We, we, we heed his call. We're following him. He's discipling us. He's teaching us. He's training us, and as we go along, we are learning these things. We are learning to value those things which are most valuable. So, I'm going to read a little passage, and I want you to tell me which ethics are involved here. Ethics from above, ethics from beyond, ethics from below. Verse 19, take a look at verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And where your treasure, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What ethics do you see being worked out there? And tell me why you say that. Beyond. Ethics from beyond. Okay, what is the beyond part? come from heaven the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of god ethics from beyond it's beyond in a couple of ways it's a place where god already rules and it's a place that's coming to earth we have this idea that we're going to go to heaven it's not where we're going to spend eternity heaven according to revelation book of revelation is going to come to earth and we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth where god is going to rule So there's this ethic from beyond which says there is a place where you can store treasure, valuable things. You can store it here on earth or you can store it here. Live in light of heaven. So let that reflect in your life right now. Be storing treasure in heaven. What other ethic is involved here? Pardon? 
Below. What is the below part? The what? Oh, thieves. Thieves and rust and moths, right? Yeah. You, your treasure here on earth can be taken away from you. That's an ethic from below. That's not like, whoa, Jesus, what a great insight. <laughs> That's just, he's saying it's common sense. We don't think about it because we hold on to it as if this is really everything there is. But the reality is we can lose it at any given time. It can be stolen from us. It can be taken away from us, the economy, everything. So many things can go wrong. We can become sick. There's all kinds of things. There's an ethic from below. Are you, are you going to put all your treasure, your, your, your emphasis, your life, your money, your time, are you going to put it all on things that can be taken away or are you going to put it on things that are eternal? Uh, is there ethic from above? Yes, where is it? He's commanding. Do not says that. Do not store and store, he says. Store for yourself. And so we've got commands there. There's, there's also a, a, another one, uh, another ethic from below, by the way, where he just simply says, your heart can't be in two different places at once. You, you can't. Now, the insight is money is, a, is like a god that wants to control us. And so... Uh, so he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, you know, there, that's what's going to happen. That's where your heart is going to be. Now, here it is. If you know this, and now you know it, if you believe it, you might believe it, you might be beginning to believe it, and if you begin to practice it, you actually, because you know it and you're beginning to believe it, you're actually trying to practice storing treasure in heaven, well, if that's true, then you will begin to learn to treasure the eternal now, to value that which is eternal now. But to know it, you have to begin to believe it, enough to begin to practice it, and it begins to change your heart, your values. This, by the way, is not something <laughs> that we can do on our own. I, I don't know how to, I wish I could, had new words to say this, I just say it so often. You can't learn to do this on your own. The entire culture, everything, every, every side, we get hit with so many messages every single day that says value this right now. You can't be happy unless you have these treasures on earth. We can't learn to do, we learn this together as we study the scripture together and remind each other and help each other to, to to understand the goodness of the kingdom and the goodness of God and what he wants to do in our lives and what, where he's going and what he wants us to do with him. And we practice it together. You know, many of you who are involved in ministry outside of yourself, whether it be using your gifts in the church or whether it be uh, working in a, in a shelter or someplace else, many of you do that because one of your friends invited you to it. I mean, we try... Hard as a church to recruit people so that we have people in the children's ministry so our kids are learning and all this kind of stuff. The vast majority of people in there have nothing to do with us, announcements or anything. It has to do with community. Somebody goes, hey, to their small group person, I'm starting to teach the fifth grade class. Would you just teach it with me? What are you doing when you ask them to do that? You're, tach you're, you're actually helping them value the kingdom when you're doing that. Together we learn to place the greatest value 
on that which is most valuable. And imagine what that would do to our anxiety and our worries if we were actually valuing the things that are eternal. This doesn't happen overnight. It's not going to happen because of my sermon. Almost nothing of significance happens in terms of spiritual growth in here right now. My sermons don't yet change you. you, you all I can do is equip you so that when you go from here, you begin to practice it. And if you practice it, you begin to know it, learn it, practice it. It begins to change who you are and the way you look at things. Number two, second strategy. Trust the one who values you most. Trust God. Trust your heavenly father. When he gives a command from above, and he doesn't necessarily explain it, trust him. Trust God. Trust the one who values, because he values you. Verse 24. I kind of jumped ahead before. Uh, we'll come back to this here. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. And he gives the example of the birds. He gives the example of the lilies. And so look at verse 31. Skip down to verse 31, where he says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear for the pagans, people who don't follow God? That's what he means there. Believe in multiple gods or no gods at all. For the pagans run after these things. Makes sense for them. But you have a heavenly father who knows that you need them. That's why you're wringing your hands over these things. Okay, what ethics do we see at work here? This happened last night too. Like people talk for the first one and for the second one. Below? Where's the below? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nobody wanted to just repeat me. Good. You can't serve two masters. Yeah. That's, uh, give her, your husband wants you to get a high five. There we go. Scott. Um, so, yeah, the, the, it's just you, it, it, the, the insight is money is a master. The wisdom is you can't serve two masters, especially if they're at odds. And so, okay, ethics from above, same as last time, that's probably why nobody talked last time. I tell you, do not worry, that's what he said, I tell you, do not worry. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, uh, preaching on this passage years ago, he entitled his sermon, Worry Makes Us Orphans. Think about that one. Worry makes us orphans. Why did he say this? He says, because it disconnects us from our heavenly Father. That's what worry does. It disconnects us. When we worry, we're acting as if we had no father in heaven who cares about us. By the way, this should raise some questions in our minds. This passage should raise some questions. I saw lots of nodding heads last night because the reality is every single one of us read this passage and every single time we go, yeah, but we know people who are followers of Jesus. Maybe we don't know them personally, but we know of people who are followers of Jesus. Actually, we do know some people personally who this didn't come true for. They didn't have a roof over their heads. We know refugees fleeing persecution don't have a roof over their heads for maybe weeks on end. And they don't have enough food. And if you've been to Haiti, and many of you have gone to Haiti with our work there, 
and you've seen people who are hungry who are followers of Jesus. So how does this, how does this work? And so I just want to address that for, for a moment. I think you probably have worked it out in your mind, but let me give you some things to think about. One of them is Jesus knows that we are not, we're not always going to have food and clothing or a roof over our heads. He knows that. How do I know he knows that? One chapter before this, part of the sermon, you're going to be persecuted for following me. That means there's going to be times when you're not going to have food. That means there's times when you're not going to have a roof over your head. Times that you may die. He knows that. So this, just forget the idea that Jesus is like, he's not going to contradict himself like that. He knows it. Secondly, this is a Hebrew way of thinking. There is a thing just called proverbial wisdom. It's an ethic from below, proverbial wisdom. The Proverbs, you read the Proverbs? It's great advice. Great, great advice. But it doesn't always work out. I mean, the Proverbs is like, do this and good will happen. Because it's not trying to make a promise. It's really not trying to make a promise. It's an assurance. Jesus is giving an assurance, but he's not making a promise there. He's giving us an assurance. The Proverbs do the same thing. And so the Bible, right within itself, has Psalms. A whole book of Ecclesiastes counters Proverbs. Not saying, oh, no, no, Proverbs is wrong. Just the author says, I've seen in life how you can do everything that it says in Proverbs, and it doesn't work out that way. How, do, how does that make sense? You have psalmists who cry out to God. This doesn't make sense. What's happening to your people? What's happening to me doesn't make sense. So the scripture within itself is speaking about these realities. So don't, don't think that it's just blind and they're not talking to each other. They're friends. They understand each other. And then thirdly, this has been really helpful for me. I've read this in the last year and I've been waiting for when I can share it with you. And this is it. Um, Jesus is enlisting us. So you want to understand what kind of proverbial wisdom this is when Jesus says, don't worry about a roof over your head. God is going to take care of it. Most of the time, actually, that's exactly what's going to happen. Most of the time. But when you join the army, you join one of the armed forces, they say, we're going to take care of you. So during training camp, you're going through, you know, you woke up at you know, four in the morning and you're marching and everything, and you're, you're not going, I wonder when we're going to gather our food and cook it and make it. And I wonder if we're going to get to eat today. They got you. You're in battle. You're battling. You're not worrying about, but we still have to go and, and cook for today. There are people in the armed forces who are cooks, and they are doing that for you. So the military takes care of those things, but can you die? Yeah. Can you suffer? You know, when they say, we'll take care of you, does that mean you'll never suffer? Doesn't mean that. Are they contradicting themselves? No. You're, you've just joined the armed forces. You, you, there's sometimes where you're shooting at people and they're shooting at you. All right, so hopefully that's helpful for you to understand how Jesus is in his world. He's bringing in this Hebrew way of thinking. He's just saying there's just plain wisdom. You're being enlisted. Jesus is saying you're being enlisted into this. And God is going to take care of you. But yeah, you may die and suffer along the way. So how can I learn to trust the one who values me most? Here, here's where it gets practical. How can I learn that? I think um, there's lots of things, but let me give you just two real quickly. Um, it's two kinds of prayers. And one of them is taught in the Lord's Prayer. 
and that is to ask for your needs. Give us today our daily bread. I know I'm going to earn the money for that, and I'm going to go out and spend my money to get that, but it all eventually comes from you, Lord, so I'm going to bring that to you. The whole, the whole Lord's Prayer is one request after another, even at the very beginning. It's may your kingdom come, that's a request. May your will be done, that's a request, on earth as it is in heaven. All right, so ask. The second one is uh, praise and thanksgiving. You, you want to learn to trust God? You need to notice when God is actually providing for you and live in praise and thanksgiving. The, the Psalms are filled with bless the Lord. What does bless the Lord mean? I thought God blesses us. How do we bless the Lord? With a word has, a, has a, two different kinds of meaning. When you use it in that kind of sentence, it means praise and thanksgiving. And so the Jew, Jewish people took very seriously in the day of Jesus, Jesus would have had prayers that he prayed throughout the day. He would have been taught prayers throughout his whole day of blessing prayers. Bless you, Lord, for the rain that's coming. By the year 400 AD, they even had a blessing prayer for, oh, bless you, Lord, I was able to go to the bathroom. They want to look at their whole life and see it in light of God. I, I think... I, I come to this conclusion, especially when I go to Israel every single time, I always come back to, if I could learn to pray blessing prayers throughout my day, that would be the number one thing that would impact my relationship with God and my attitude and my entire life more than anything. And we try and, uh, I mean, we as a church, but, uh, you know, there's books out there. Some of you have done some of these Thanksgiving journals. It helps, doesn't it? It helps bring joy into your life. But... The Jewish people were trained to do it all day long, not to wait till the end of the day. Just to do it all day long. But it's so hard. It's so hard because we, we don't have the built into our lives. That is not built into our lives. It's unfortunate that we've lost that. Third strategy, prioritize what the one who values you most values most. This is very similar to the first one but this is giving it to the priorities area. God values you most. He values certain things. Make those things a priority in your life. And that's where verse 33 comes in. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All, what things? Food, clothing, all those things. The whole passage um, this whole passage may sound, and especially by the time you get seek first the kingdom of heaven, there it starts to get a little bit more clarity because the idea that we oftentimes get is, well, this, is this calling us to, to completely detach from things on the earth? Like, like doesn't matter where I live. I'm not going to save any money. I'm not going to um, work hard. You know, I'm not going to go out and get a job. It doesn't mean that. And the Bible offers correctives everywhere to say that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, what's your priority? What are you seeking first in your life? Don't detach yourself from everything. Don't detach yourself from everything. Instead, following Jesus is about cultivating in our lives a greater attachment to his things, to the things that he prioritizes. So what does it look like? Several years ago, uh, President Obama, during his State of the Union address, had a banker from Miami there that he talked about. Great example of a greater attachment, because 
His father had started a bank and then he had inherited or eventually gotten the position of running the bank and they sold the bank and he got $60 million as the owner or CEO of whatever he was. And he turned around and took at least 30, I'm not sure, can't remember right now actually, 30 or 60, at least $30 million from that money. And he gave it back to employees as bonuses, depending on how long they had worked there. And even retired employees got a bonus. Some people as much as $100,000 bonus. Now, why would he do that? Well, because he has, he's rolling in money. He doesn't need it. Then why don't all rich people do that? He did it because one of the things that he had gotten from his dad was to value employees. He literally, in his heart, valued his employees in a way that he wanted to show. And so that's what he did because of that value. He had a greater attachment. What Jesus is calling us to here, he's basically saying, listen, disciples, you're in the army now. You're in the army now. Don't spend all your time focused, prioritizing, worrying about getting more and more stuff. Make my kingdom your first priority. Make my righteousness your first priority. Don't give me your leftovers. Your leftovers of your time, your leftovers of your money, your leftovers of your heart, of your passions, of your desires. Don't give me your leftovers. Make me, make my kingdom, make my righteousness your first priority. Let me take care of the rest. If we believe that, if we knew that, we believed it, we practiced that, it would impact our anxiety. It would impact the level of our worries. Let's learn that. And let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who calls us to follow you, that you are a God of provision. You've given us the breath that we have. You've given us the strength that we have. You've given us everything that we need. It all goes back to you. Help us live lives of thanksgiving. Help us to live lives that bless you constantly, praise you, give thanks so that we would be filled with more joy, that our joy would be contagious instead of infecting everyone around us with our anxieties and our worries. Help us to learn to live that way. Your kingdom is real. Remind us that. Help us to remind each other of that. Help us to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name.